As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to a special edition, a bonus edition of Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined by a special guest, my colleague from The Athletic, Pablo Maurer. Pablo, how's it going today, man? It's good. I've seen a lot of you recently. Too much, some people might say. I know, too much. Pablo and I are going on a, a long sabbatical from each other immediately after this phone call ends, but, um, but we are going to do this phone call first. So, we are recording Sans Paul because Pablo and I just published a story on Chivas USA and kind of the, the history of the club, the foundation, the rise, um, the brief, I guess, rise, the, the glory three or four years, whatever you want to call it, and then the long, ridiculous fall before they were bought by the league and then eventually folded after the 2014 season. Um there was a lot in the piece. I think our first draft of it was like 14,000 words. That got cut down a little bit significantly. But somehow, for a story that was super long, I think the longest piece I've ever published, as a matter of fact. I don't know if that's true for you, Pablo. Yeah, um, it would be our 25 stories thing was 9,000 something, I think. George, the okay. George Best one was as well. So this, this shattered that there record. You go. <laughs> yes. Look at, look at us making history. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, for a piece that long, you would think we would have dumped out the notebook entirely and inserted everything that we could into this story. Yeah, that is not the 10%, case, my friend. Use about 10% of it. <laughs> we, there is so much that we left out that we decided, hey, why not talk about it on a podcast? So, with that, Pablo, what's, uh, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but what's, what's the favorite anecdote that didn't make the piece that... That you that you wish had or wish we had found some room for. I mean, it's got to be the Zeusy thing to me. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, but it's got to be the Zeusy thing to me. I just all right. So give give the people the background. Get, tell right, the story. So, you know, when Sam and I sat to write this piece, I essentially was just like, I, I got dibs on interviewing Chili's. Right? It was just like my entire reason for doing <laughs> this piece. Also worked out well because I'm also, bilingual. I don't, I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so so um, wasn't really a discussion. That yeah. Had to be had. People people might not realize his assistant at Chivas USA and actually uh, Las Vegas Lights and uh, the, the places he's coached since then. I think Las Vegas Lights actually the only one. Um, his his son Isidro is 
his assistant there. And Isidro is actually, uh, I'm not sure the specifics of this, but a Canadian citizen, speaks English very well. Um, so I, Hold up, he's Canadian? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know huh. what, what the, you know, right. I don't know what the deal is there, but um, he... I'm into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it too. So um, I, I interviewed Chelis and also Isidro. Isidro, uh, the Chivas USA job, he's very young. I want to say he was 26 at the, the time. It was his first uh, coaching gig of any kind. I mean, basically the way he put it was he basically just went to his dad and was like, look, just take me. We'll, you know, I'll serve as your translator if you want. You know, we'll, we'll figure something out. And um, he said, you know, we did the interview in Spanish anyways, but he said that, you know, essentially his attitude was just fake it until you make it at first. Um, you know, sort of like learn, learn mm-hmm. on the job. And this really, yeah, really shone through. Um, he was sort of talking to me about uh, the fact that maybe they, they didn't, have a lot of access to sort of scouting data, data on other teams, which seems... Or, or apparently to MLSsoccer.com. Exactly. <laughs> or like the U.S. national team. I don't know. Didn't... didn't Just the internet. Yeah, exactly. So uh, basically, they, you know, ahead of a game with uh, Sporting Kansas City, uh, Isidro starts scouting the opponent. Uh, you know, they pull up the stadium the day of the game and, and at uh, Children's Mercy Park, is that what it's called now? Correct, yes. One of, like, a couple of stadium names that has weird, like, Dignity Health Sports Park, which sounds like a retiring home. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah. They, they pull up there, and, 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 and the words of E.C. Dre goes, so I see outside the stadium all these banners, Graham Zussi, Graham Zussi, fucking Graham Zussi everywhere. And I, he's, like, says he's rifling through his papers trying to find any evidence of, like, Graham Zussi existing as a human being, which he can't. And so, predictably enough... This is 2013. Exactly. Graham Zussi is on the national team. He's been an MLS star for years at this point. Was this before or after he became San Zussi? That would be the real... Um, I think it would have been after because yeah, so I think that would have been fall one could make 2013. The even like, you but, know, I feel like Mexican soccer people should be familiar with the guy who qualified them for the World Cup. But as an aside... Yeah, sorry, before. Before. Okay, Did okay. I say after? I meant before. So, yeah, predictably enough... Um, uh, and you see those words, Graham Zuzi f- killed us that night. Um, so it just goes to show Pablo, you. This is a family show. Yeah. Those will have to be bleeped out. I apologize. Out. Um, <laughs> it just goes to show you how sort of ill-equipped Sorry, they were. Taylor. I mean, one of my favorite things just about the, the Chelis part in general is, and like Sam, you talked to Bobby Burling and to Amelia about this, just some of his just off-the-wall training techniques and motivational techniques. It's unbelievable. Like the picture these guys painted and this, this showed up in the story, but like the picture Bobby Burling paints of like, he's like, yeah, we'd be walking out to training at nine o'clock and we'd see the equipment guys like having, they've set up all the cones and brought out all the balls and everything else that they, a normal kit man needs to do before the start of an MLS practice. And they're hustling back to the locker room to get the giant like speakers that you would see at like a club that Chelis played like his Bonda music through during training. And and just the picture Berling paints of like, and I don't think this quote made it into the story, but basically he's like, the training sessions were just super, super hectic. Like you had no idea what was going to happen <laughs> next. Chelis is running around. He's smoking. He's smoking cigarettes. Music is blasting. Everyone is screaming in Spanish. And you have like these three white guys on the team, basically Berling, Melia, and Dan Kennedy, who was the starting goalkeeper ahead of Melia at the time, 
Um, and they're just like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> um, definitely a culture shock for them. Um, but, you know, the cool thing was is they all loved it, right? Um, that it was a super fun environment. Uh, Chelis, they were in second place in the league through five weeks. And, and like, they had become kind of these, uh, these cult heroes to an extent around MLS. Now it didn't last, right? And what's the old saying about, you know, the flame that burns the brightest or something? I don't know. Yeah, uh, burn out bright but quickly, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm butchering a cliche. Yeah, 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 exactly. Rest in peace to Kurt. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, but for that one kind of brief period, Chivas was a super fun team. And for most of their existence, they were not. And that was kind of one of the things that struck me. I spoke with Jonathan Bornstein. And Bornstein played for the club for five seasons, 2006 through 2010. Uh, was captain for part of that time. Obviously went on to a career in Mexico, played with the national team for a lot. Maybe like, I don't know, if there is a Mr. Chivas USA, <laughs> he would probably be in the running yeah, for like it. him. Like, uh, Kennedy would be another one. Yeah, maybe Sasha Kleshton. Like Kubo Torres, um, just like, you know, he was like <laughs> one season, but, you know, memorable. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Tommy Mack. <laughs> Tommy Mack, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. But regardless, this is a guy who gave the beginning of his career to Chivas USA. And he's from Southern California, um, you know, has some Mexican heritage. Um, and he was talking to me and he, he thanked me for writing this story. And that like really stuck out to me. He's like, thank you for writing this. This is like such a weird psychological thing for me because these were some of the best years of his career that he gave to an organization that for a while was going pretty smoothly, at least on the field, the years that he was there. And then all of a sudden it just took a turn and became thought of as this joke. And he's like, thank you for trying to tell the story because like everyone laughed at us at the end. And like that is a place that meant a lot to myself and to other people. And that kind of like struck me. It was sad. It was sad that like someone could give years of their life to this organization that for a while was okay. And then in the end just became this kind of laughing stock and died out. And isn't, despite this only happening six years ago, isn't really remembered at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it does feel like a decade ago, even though it's not. I think, um, Kennedy, too, is another one who just was sort of struck by my interview with him because, you know, people forget he was very, very good. I mean, he was like, yeah, uh, definitely had national team ambitions, which he's really open about the fact he says that, you know, because because Klinsman was like a mentality guy that he never was. He never would have called somebody up who comes from an organization like Chivas. But he, too, was a guy who was just, you know, like. A, a very good keeper mired on this team, just sort of like thrown out to the wolves. I and mean, there's, there's a lot of that. I thought Nelson Rodriguez, the way he spoke about Chivas, he was tasked with sort of shepherding them to, to the grave. And, um, you know, it's just, yeah. it was bittersweet. It was just talking about a lot of people on, you know, grossly under equipped, uh, but who, who very much cared about the club. Same thing when you look at, you know, photos of fans from the last game and stuff. The whole thing just made me sad, man. Honestly, you know. Um, yeah. Well, some of it made me laugh, but yeah. <laughs> a lot of it made me sad. Yep, yep. <laughs> the Chelly's parts were pretty great. 
But no, I mean, like, I remember talking to Nelson and him telling the story of, like, asking the equipment manager, okay, what's one thing you need to do your job better? And the answer was fabric softener. <laughs> like, they, they weren't even buying fabric softener for the team. Like, he, he was telling me, like, he had to fill out a requisition form to buy paper clips for the office. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's just like, that's the, that, those were the lows in 2014. Those were the depths that got sunk to. Which is crazy is. to me. It is, man. Like, it's just crazy, like, in so many ways. Um, but one of the real ways here is because, like, here we are six years later, and that's almost unimaginable in MLS. Well, you know, what? it's, it's, you know, it's it, wild, Ben. Like, you wrote, um, I, I think, or no, I wrote Vergara and uh, the Quays. They bought in for $7.5 million. That is, yeah. like, what a USL team costs now. I mean... That is, it's less than a USL expansion, yeah, show, which yeah. is ten for the championship. Exactly, yeah. and that is or just was, anyway. so mind-boggling to me. Um, you know, even even though I, I guess you know, even after buying the Quays and everything else, I mean, Vergara probably made money on Chivas USA because he sold the damn thing for seventy million dollars. You know, less than a decade probably. later, probably. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, who knows how much he was losing year over year? You know, if he lost seven million a year, which doesn't sound totally unreasonable yeah. even though they were spending very little then he it was about a break-even venture for him probably but even still i mean that just goes to show that the growth of pro sports valuations sure. and mls valuations and like shoot man can you imagine if he had done it well what that franchise would be worth <sighs> now so true like he could, he could like own lafc 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 i think is like valued at 700 million yeah so you're talking about a hundred x increase there yeah. Like that's actually like I think this is this is totally separate, but this is like a totally uh, undersold story. The people that bought into MLS from like 2005 to like 2011 or 12, who are buying in from seven and a half million up to like 35 million, all of those owners have had massive, massive returns in terms of the franchise valuation. Yeah. Not all of them are cashing in or anything, but like think about like the Seattle Sounders. I think the expansion fee there was 30 million. That club's probably valued at five or six hundred. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, and it's the same owners, right? So, and they haven't built, they haven't even built a stadium or a training <laughs> facility. But anyway, I, I digress. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Back to Chivas USA. I mean, to me, they sort of represent, like, did you ever cover a game there? Did you ever cover a Chivas USA game in LA? No, definitely not. All right. So, I was I was in that press box a few times. And oh, with ourselves. It is okay. among 
this yeah it was among the strangest saddest experiences i've ever had <laughs> in what way at a pro sports event so you go there and you walk up and the, the stub hub center digney health sports park or back then the home depot center where they played the press box you have to walk up these stairs that are external and you walk in and it's two levels and the first level is like the meal room where you know they serve the food and you can grab a soda or whatever and you walk in and, and I'm used to it from Galaxy Games, which is like a pretty standard setup. You know, it's like little buffet, right? Not very good food, but food all the same for free. And you go into Chivas and it's box lunches and you had to pay. I think it was 10 bucks oh for this like crappy little <laughs> box lunch. There's like no one in this press box. There are fewer people at the stadium. And anytime Chivas would get a corner kick, which wasn't very often in these games by this time because they were terrible at this point. Um, you know, there'd be a thousand, two thousand people in the stadium and they would blast over the loudspeakers, like so loud. It was like disconcertingly loud compared to the level of noise in the stadium. It'd be like, arriba las chivas in like, like the full like accent. I think they do it at Guadalajara games. Um, and every time that happened, I would like jump in my seat because I'd be like, it was like just night and day between the atmosphere and like how loud it was. It was super jarring. Um, actually that reminds me of another story. So I spoke with, uh, David Lindholm, who was in PR and he didn't end up getting quoted, but he provided a lot of great kind of info and background. And he just flat out said, I mean, not that this is a surprise. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, we were just making up the attendance numbers. Just like straight up. He's like, you, the average would, like we would say 15,000, it would be like seven or eight. Yeah. You know, just like completely goosing the numbers. Um, sounds like pretty, and, and that would have been a little, er, that would have been earlier. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been earlier when they were doing quote unquote well like in their good years so just crazy man different time yeah it is it's kind of too i feel like they were the last sort of wacky team in mls or something you know what i mean i mean mls at this mm -hmm. point takes itself so seriously often to its own detriment that yeah it's a more it's a more professional sure. league now yeah i think and less interesting and for us. i don't know yeah i think that's i think that's fair you know like it's it's a weird place to be because like people like me, less so you, but like me or Paul, for instance, like knock the league for level of play, right? And I think MLS has tried to raise that in many different ways by spending more money, by becoming more serious, right? But it's still not an incredible level, right? It's not competing with the best leagues in the world by any means. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, where it wasn't doing that in 2010 either, right? But back then, you felt, I don't know, maybe maybe this is just like, you know, us being a little bit prisoner of the moment or being too nostalgic. It just felt like there was more soul. For sure, right? for sure. There's a little yeah. bit more heart. And I'm not sitting here arguing Chivas USA was a good thing for MLS. They were a complete joke. It was a disaster. They were an embarrassment, all of the above. But like, particularly during, you know, the Chelis era, the four or five month long Chelis era, they were also like super fun and different and like this is like only in american I mean, soccer never, can you see something this outrageous i've never come out of a piece with more of a like i emerged from this piece like almost determined to get chelis hired somewhere in america you know what i mean like i was just i don't really care <laughs> and where. then move there and then cover that team every exactly. day <laughs> i mean like hopefully mls but you know we could do usl too we could even do like usl league one or 
you know, just do Nisa. Yeah, dude. just he could he could coach the cosmos. I guess they still exist. You know. Oh wow. Um, but that's your dream. But, that's your dream, Pablo. For sure, for sure. You could you could come up here in bed and write a full book about that. Yeah, at least at least ten people would buy it. Yeah, I mean, I think it it goes back to to answer what you were saying. To and I I always talk about this a lot, but um, to MLS being so desperate desperate to sort of manufacture some sense of authenticity, and then the few things they have that are like actually theirs and authentic are so scorned upon and like pushed out the door stuff like the shootout, but also stuff just like the names, the logos, the colors, etc. MLS just can't wait to jettison all that stuff, you know? Um, when in reality, it's like one of the only things that actually makes it legitimately sort of MLS, you know, um, everything else is an imitation. <laughs> and, and like you said, man, to be clear, from a I mean, Chivas USA is the ultimate imitation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Chivas literally was. Uh, I love Chelis was like. <laughs> I just asked him about the uh, reception. And he says in Spanish, uh, "Bueno, me recuerdo que no le gustaba mucho esto de fake Chivas." Just like that. <laughs> like to hear a Mexican uh, say the phrase "fake Chivas," just like that, has brought me so much joy. <laughs> So yeah, they were knockoff, but I think you know what I mean. It's it's like oftentimes smart business doesn't line up with with what's more entertaining and what's more authentic. You know, to be clear, MLS has done the right thing, <laughs> but it's also yeah, the no, they should not have kept stuff. Chivas USA. I I do wonder if it could have ever worked. I think it like could have. That time. It could have, man. Like if you like like say say it's LAFC, but you transport it from what was their expansion season twenty eighteen to two thousand five. Yeah. Right, it's a different story, you know. They're not LAFC of 2020. I mean, dude, I know? think it could have worked even if it was just sort of a hybrid where they did primarily market towards Mexican fans, and like the goal, Vergara's later goal of sort of just capturing all these Mexican American players. If he had, if he had done that, but just branded it as like something not Chivas USA, you know, like just some some random. LAFC, whatever the name you want it to be, I think it could have worked. I do. If you look at all the all the like Mexican American players who are coming, I mean, there there's League MX teams that have partnerships now. Even like El Paso Locomotive has one where they send these kids to League MX. I mean, there have been dozens of kids who've gone down there that could have played for LAFC, Chivas USA, whatever you want to call them. I, I don't think that part of the idea is like bankrupt. I think the part, the reason it failed to me is because they, A, they didn't spend money and B, they're just like really pigeonholed themselves from the start with a branding, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I totally hear you. And it's, you're alienating yourself because every America fan, every Cruises Soul fan, every Monterey or Tigres fan, they're not going to want to come out and root for fake Chivas, yeah. you know, like Chivas fans don't even really want to come out and root for fake Chivas, <laughs> you know? Like and so yeah, the the branding was a was a yeah, was a colossal mistake, and they probably should have realized that. But the thing that to me is kind of the through line with all of the failures at Chivas USA is just how not seriously Vergara and Antonio and Lorenzo Quay took the entire project. And maybe seriously isn't the right word, but um, how much they underestimated it. Yeah, right? I think what like when they fit. When they failed, it was because they didn't uh, they didn't properly estimate the level of competition in MLS, and they didn't properly respect the fan base, basically. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Isidro Sanchez, Chalisa's son, had a very good quote that was literally the last one to get cut from the piece where he said that um, that they did totally. Uh, they basically thought their fans were stupid, but what they don't realize is that, and they, they certainly do now, that like MLS fans don't compare the product here with you know Juventus or Real Madrid. I think they do maybe more these days, but th- that's sort of irrelevant. Um, they compare it to like the Clippers or the Dodgers or yeah. When you talk about in person, they compare it. Yeah, to I mean his his yeah. words were like they understand spectacle, right? And so MLS, I just think didn't really. I mean, just think they made the assumption they could smack this moniker on the team and that like, well, Chivas has all these fans in LA, they'll automatic. I mean, you wrote it in the piece like even Chivas de Guadalajara's own supporters group literally went to Chivas USA ownership and said, hey, anytime there's a conflict, we're going like we're going to a bar to watch like the Chivas Guadalajara game or something. And they're like, um, yeah. Yeah. doomed from the start. Here's a question. Do you think um there's something I found myself wondering, Sam, do you think that like a Barcelona USA or something could work in the year 2020? I mean, because um, you would say, well, you'd alienate every Madrid fan or you'd but like if you got a big enough global brand yeah, like but that, it's, you know. Yeah, and that's a different beast, right? Like, yeah, you'd alienate a lot of Madrid fans, but like, it's not quite the same thing because you're not marketing exclusively to a Spanish-American audience true, like Chivas true, yeah. USA was, right? That being said, like, I think that would be really dumb. Like, even if Barcelona were to own a team, they shouldn't name it Barcelona USA, which I, I feel like that was a thing in Miami that got talked about like 10 years It'd ago. Incredible. I might be remembering I'm sure that the wrong. MLS head coach um, of Barcelona USA will be promised, like, you can have anybody from roster spots one to eight off the Barcelona yes, full yeah. squad. You can... You can here, here, take Sergio Busquets. Yeah, please, yeah. please take yeah. him. Um, but, I mean, look at, at New York City FC, right? Like, if you're going to do it, like, as a global brand, like, that's probably how you do yeah, it. Yeah, same right? colors. And I think... Sponsor, different Yeah, name. you have the same colors. You know, yeah, exactly. It's a different same name. Same problematic and can, ownership I actually group, think, you know, everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually think they've, they did a pretty good job, like, with their branding, tapping into the city itself. Right, a much and and it feels much more, I guess, on the surface anyway, locally authentic than the New York Red Bulls, for instance, yeah, who yeah. are more along the Chivas USA lines. Um, now, I think the American, the average American non-soccer fan doesn't know about Red Bull Leipzig or Red Bull Salzburg, so they just think it's the energy drink marketing. So it's a little bit different, but um, yeah, no, I think if anyone were to do that, it would just be like, I'm not saying it would be destined for failure, but you'd be limiting your ceiling of success. How about that? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think it would also depend on the team for sure. I mean, there's just very few teams that have that like global sort of footprint, but I, I think bottom line is you'll never see it again either way. Just an interesting mental exercise to play, you know? Um, it is. Um, what would you have named Chivas USA if you were advising Jorge Vergara in 2004 or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, you have to, that's the thing is I'm tempted to say like, you know, Los Angeles Football Club or like CD Los Angeles, but you have to transport yourself back to 2004 when like those names weren't yet, wasn't like a universal naming convention in MLS. You know what I mean? I feel like Sporting yeah, KC. Yeah, was when a, was FC Dallas? It was the first FC one. FC Dallas was like 06. Yeah, yeah, and you had Sporting Kansas City, all those, that wave of teams. That wasn't until like 11 though, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Real Salt Lake, obviously. Yeah, Chivas is expansion. Yeah, Real partner. Los Angeles. <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, I would have. Let's see. Um, I can't believe the. I can't believe you're not going with LA Aztecs. I, I was here. going to, and actually, uh, I don't know if you read Chalice's transcript. He said Chalice literally said they should have yeah, just named it the LA Aztecs, but I feel like there's maybe some sort of issue there with appropriating Native American or you know, in this case, indigenous culture from Mexico. I, I'm not sure, um, but they had. I mean, the MESL team had great branding, imagery, uniforms. You know, you had the built-in history that goes with it, you know, but I don't know. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I think Aztecs, right. I think in 2004, those issues you just outlined, which are certainly, yeah, they would be going through the name change now. Like 16 years. Those wouldn't have come up in a major way in 2004. Um, so I think that one would have been pretty good. We would be reading a press release from the LA Aztecs. That's like, we've donated $500,000 to a local native American charity. We We are now the Los Angeles football team. Um, not football yeah yeah laughed <laughs> laughed for short yeah we came we saw we laughed um yeah, i don't know man <laughs> yeah no i don't know aztecs like even like you know keegan pierce who, who worked for the club and pr for like five years he spoke with me extensively he was like you know there's talk about naming it chivas los angeles um, that's, way the beginning, that's way better that's way better elected to not go with that it I mean, even the women's better. the women's team that was there for a while, the LA Soul. That's a good name, S O L. LA Soul. Is it? I think is it two MLS one point for you? It, I I feel like that. I feel like that's like uh more like women's sports one Yeah. Like Soul. Like I feel like there was a Miami WNBA team named the Soul, about, but I might be making that. What up. about the uh? What the other NSL team down there was the California Surf, LA Surf. Just, that's a good one, but yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, let's go. Let's the go, surf. LA Surf. Hurley official yeah. team sponsorship. Uh, <laughs> the Beach FC. Um, yeah. I mean, they're close to Long Beach, right? So, I don't know. Um, it is kind of fascinating to look back at Chivas USA and what was and how ridiculous it was. Um, what if they put the but, team in San Diego? Know, some other border city. I don't know. Well, they did talk about that at the beginning. Yeah. We probably should have mentioned that in the piece, but yeah, I had to keep it uh, under sixty-five thousand <laughs> words. So. We could have wrote a book about yeah. this uh, mercifully for us and our editors and all of you. We didn't. I think we've gone on long enough. Yeah. Um, but Pablo, thank you for joining and thank you for doing this piece. You know, we hated each other at certain points during the writing of it, but you know, all's well that ends. I love well. that you could just plug. Uh, you can replace Paul with a dude named Pablo occasionally. It's just a, it's a like for like. Yeah, it's swap, nice. You know? We we got to get a Samwell up in here. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening to this this bonus edition of Allocation Disorder. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. And if you haven't already, and if you've made it this far, I really hope you have. <laughs> but please check out the piece on the Athletic. Um, it's worth it's worth your time, even if it'll be three hours of your time. Um, until next time. I'm Sam. He's Pablo. Uh, Thanks for listening.